Hello, I'm Anthony Johnston, and you're listening to Writing and Breathing, a show where I chat with fellow authors of all kinds about why, how, and what we write. Except today, we're not talking to an author, we're branching out a little. My guest today is Jenny Hill. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi, Anthony. Glad to be here. <laughs> so, for listeners who are uh, aren't familiar with you, don't recognise your name perhaps, just tell us who you are and what you do. So I'm Jenny Hill. Um, I'm editorial director at Orbit Books and Orbit Books publish uh, brilliant sci-fi and fantasy in the UK. Um, Yeah, editorial director is a bit of a new title for me. That's um, happened very recently. (laughs) Um, I was a commissioning editor. I'm still commissioning manuscripts, commissioning books. Um, Yeah, so I'm not, this is the first time actually I've introduced myself as editorial director. (laughs) Excellent. Um, so, I mean, just briefly, we'll get into this in more detail later, but for now, briefly, just tell us what exactly does that mean you do? So, um, as an editor, I think, um, one way I sum sum up what editors do is that we're kind of book shepherds, as in we're shepherding the book from, from acquisition, which is, you know, when it comes in, it's on the submission pile to publication and beyond and working with authors to develop their careers at Orbit. Um, I think um, I think a lot of writers have an idea of what an editor does um, in that, that they know a lot about working with manuscripts and there's kind of this um, perception that you read manuscripts all day and that is absolutely not what we do. Uh, I wish I had more time to read manuscripts all day. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely a big part of the job and um, probably the most glamorous part of the do- job, honestly, is uh, working with writers and um, trying to make their stories better. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how did you... Well, let, let's go all the way back. First of all, I assume, just because most people involved in the publishing industry are, that you were a sort of voracious reader as a, as a child. Absolutely, Did you, yeah. you know, start reading at an early age? Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, it's, it's all due to my... My, my dad was a, was a huge uh, book nerd, and my mum was not as much of a reader, but she really knew that you know, her child reading was a good thing to encourage. So I think she, she did think that both, it's credit to both of them, really, um, for how much of a bookworm I was as a child. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it, it, it really does go back that far. Um, so one thing that actually got me really into reading as a kid was uh, Marvel comics. Uh, my dad was would read me Thor comics and X Men comics uh, when I was kind of six, seven years old. So um, yeah, and that, that, I think that links into actually how I got into publishing and how I um, found out that publishing would be a career that I could do. Which was um, I went along to a how to get to, how to get into comics ex- um, event at Leicestershire Library. Um, Matt Smith from 2000 AD was there and I um, I sort of very quickly realised that um, publishing actually looked fun. It looked fun to kind of like work with books all day. I, I originally wanted to be a writer and I think that's very true for a lot of people working in publishing, honestly. Um, but yeah, I, I was very, very cheeky as a, as a kind of 20-year-old. I, I, I put my hand up at the end, at, at the end of the um, session when Matt said, does, does anyone have any questions? I put my hand up and said, yeah, can I have some work experience, please? <laughs> <laughs> so it all started there, really. <laughs> so what was it about that event and that presentation that made you think, oh, this is this is something I'd like to do, more uh, as opposed to writing? I think I was close to graduating as an English an English degree. Um, and I think there's kind of the perception that when you do an English degree, you're going to go into teaching or do something that's not associated with English. and um, Or you're going to try and be a writer and I mean you talk a lot in your podcast about the success rate of people being writers um and I I also understand that this is something I've come to understand since as well in that um it's it's not always as stable a career as you want it to be you often have to have like and and I I absolutely value stability in what I do and I saw something that meant I could work with the stories that I love and have and have a day job and have an office job I know, I know one of the things you like to talk about in the podcast is um people's processes and when they work and how they work and for me it's kind of like well currently there's a pandemic on so I'm not actually in the office but I, I have an office job I have regular hours um there's it's also true in publishing that not everyone sticks to these hours and that kind of a lot of the time you when you're editing when you're reading submissions you are working out of hours and that's a very common thing throughout the industry actually in that you have days in the office where you're having meetings and you have lots of emails and things and then like the times when you actually manage to edit and connect with submissions is, is often <laughs> on your off hours. So how much stability I've really found, but um, it is, it is good to have a, a regular paycheck and it's good to not do my own taxes as well, because um, I did do some freelance work um, as an editor. I worked for Cubicle 7 um, on the Doctor Who RPGs and um, 
some of the, the primeval, some of the other RPGs I've done as well. And I, I experienced what, what you are very familiar with, I think, doing your own taxes. And I was just like, no, this is this is not for me. I, 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 <laughs> I want to go into an office. I want to have a HR department. I want to, yeah, I, I want to have a desk. <laughs> this, this is why I employ an accountant to <laughs> take yeah, care well, of the taxes <laughs> side of things. <laughs> I think I think the variety is also um, really attractive as an editor because you, you don't just get to work with your own stories; you get to work with lots of people's stories, and um, yeah, there's a there's a real attraction there. I think. I think one of the fun things because before I was a full time writer, I worked in the magazine business mm-hmm. as an art director, and I think one of the and I really enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong; it was you know it was a good fun job that I had a lot of fun doing and, and would have stayed in uh, if I didn't sort of feel the call to be a writer more, more strongly. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I liked about it was that, as you say, you you do have stability in the form of a regular paycheck and you are an employee and somebody else is taking care, as you say, of your taxes and <laughs> pension and all that sort of it stuff. It makes me sound very shallow, um, but I, I swear it's not the only But... <laughs> No, 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 but I, but I get it because you have that, but you also, because it's a creative industry, you do have that variety from day to day of what actually goes on mm. every day. You know, you're not literally doing the same thing all the time. So it is a creative outlet, but it does have that security as well. So I, I do understand. Mm. I don't have to deal with my own writer's block. I uh, I get to help other people with their writer's block, which is very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do envy you there. It's true. <laughs> so how did you go about actually then getting into the industry as an editor? Did you get that work experience with 2000 AD? I did get the work experience with 2000 AD, which was wonderful. Um, they have uh, Matt Smith, who's the, the editorial director there, was um, one absolutely um, showed me all kinds of um, aspects of the business when I was working there. And also um, John Oliver, who ran the um, Abaddon and Solaris imprints, also worked on fiction. I know, John. Which is, yeah, yep. John's great. Um so that was very instrumental in me getting into fiction in the end, um, because I, I did my work experience there. I went to London and um, worked for Vint Planet for a while, which was also brilliant. It was just good to experience what it's like to be a bookseller and just see customer, be face to face with customers and people who would eventually be uh, uh, buying what we publish. <laughs> um, and did a, a variety of, uh, sort of temp jobs and things. And then when a position at Solaris came up as a junior editor, I went for that and I got it. So uh, that was that was really good. Um, so I wasn't working at 2000 AD, although I did get to work on a few of the graphic novels and things, but I was, work- I was, so I was working with um, Solaris and Abaddon on original um, science fiction, fantasy and horror novels. So, yes. Yeah, so as you say, not 2000 AD itself, but within the same, you know, under the same umbrella. Under the same umbrella, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, and then, and how long did you work there before you then went to Orbit? I was there for two and a half years um, and I very, very much wanted that job because I, you could tell I wanted the job because I, I used to commute for hours at a time from London to Oxford um, to the Rebellion offices in, near the uh, canals in Oxfordshire. It's a very nice offices, um, 90% video game developers and some 10% publishers in the corner. <laughs> so I, and, and I just, the commute was terrible. I, I, so I, I, I was looking for a job in London. They knew I was looking for a job in London. So when the um, commissioning editor position came up that orbit, I went for that. And um, it is very hard to get a job in publishing. It, there's a lot of competition. Um, so I went through various interview stages and was lucky enough to be chosen. So <laughs> Absolutely nice. And I still can see the Solaris guys at conventions and things because it's a very small industry in the UK. So, uh, yeah, I do miss working with them. <laughs> That's true. Yes, you do run into the same people over and over again at festivals and conventions, don't you? you do. So what would you, I mean, sort of looking back on your journey into it, what advice would you give to somebody who has that same revelation and thinks, oh, actually, that's the job for me? So I would say, obviously, read widely in the um, in the genre that you want to work in. Um I think that's a given. I think what was really useful for me was um, proving that I wanted it and going to conventions and going to book launches and kind of meeting people. Um, it's so I've, I've, I've used to volunteer at conventions and things, and it just it kind of gives you it gives you such a taste for and, and also obviously the work experiences of form of volunteering. Um, just don't be afraid to ask, as, as I did, <laughs> putting my hand up and just asking. Um, there are plenty of work experience programs as well, at, um, some of the major, major trade publishers that you can um, you can apply for. Um, you just you, you learn so much from um, just being honest and true about what you love and doing that. And if you if the, if you have the time um, to volunteer for things and um, 
just, you know, go to a book launch and meet the author that you like. And that just, it, it gives you so much of a taster of what the industry is like. Um, and you will, you will find your niche. <laughs> it, it might not be editing. It might be something like publicity or it might be something like cover design. Or just, There are, there are so many, actually so many roles at a publisher um, and people don't always end up in the, uh, the, well, the it, I think editing is probably one of the things that people hear most about. So they often, that's often what, often what they want to get into, but there are, there are so many roles in publishing for people out there. <laughs> I think editor is one of the few titles that people understand, or at least think they understand, mm. but also that gets mentioned constantly in editors in uh, authors' acknowledgements. Yeah, I think that's another reason why it's so visible because <laughs> just about every author will thank their editor uh, in the acknowledgements of the book, whereas we don't tend to thank you know the cover designers or the marketing people. Mm. Um, I think my, my often my authors are very very nice and they do thank the whole team because um, we're a very close knit team at Orbit, so. Um... But I know I absolutely know what you mean, and I get I get so many messages from friends that saying, "Oh, saw your name in another in another book, Jenny," <laughs> which is very funny because I think one of the things that is attractive about being an editor as well is being able to behind the scenes. Um, you don't have to put yourself forward, um, and I like doing something like this podcast is quite rare for me actually because I don't, uh, I think you can probably tell. I, I, as I confessed to you, I was a little bit nervous before um, coming along. Um, you, you, you're not used to being in the limelight, and it, it's nice to be able to work. In, with with the stories and the authors that you love, um, and not have to kind of be in the limelight in the same way that an author is often. Um, yeah, you can shove them forward into the light. Exactly. Um, it is. Uh, it is not about me. It is about them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you said earlier that every day is different, and you have a, a wide variety of things you do. So obviously, this is a, therefore a bit of a bit of a trap question, if you like. But what is a typical day like for you? What sort of things would you expect to do uh when you roll up to the office outside of covid times obviously as i went uh, to ex- extrapolate a bit on um, what they said about being a book shepherd um there are many produ- there are many departments out of publishers um there is there's publicity there's marketing there's production design contracts finance sales um and you are as the editor it is your name is next to that book you you are the one who has to kind of bring all that together and make sure that um and make sure that everything's happening for that book. There's a there's a for, for an industry where um I think people often get into it because they love they, they love reading and they're nerds. Um there's a huge amount of project management that they don't warn you about. <laughs> it is project managing. Um so I, I will have a uh, I have uh, any at any time I have usually between about twenty-five and thirty writers who are mine. Um and I am going to meetings, um just trying to make sure that everything happens for their book on time and when it needs to. And um, whether that's, whether that's the actual editing or copy editing, proofreading or designing the cover, making sure that, um, God, I, I, there was just, there was just so much. Um, I'm trying to think of a typical day this week. Um, Cause sometimes something that can, can happen that can just bubble that out of the water. Um, and what I've been doing for the last two, three days is um, I was in an auction situation. Um, do you know what an auction situation is? I do, but, you know, please explain for the listeners. This is when um, an agent comes to you with a book and um, you like it and you want to buy it for your publishers, but uh, there, are, there are other publishers out there who also want it. <laughs> so it becomes a bit of a bidding war. It becomes a bit of a beauty contest. You're sort of saying, well, this is my vision for the book and this is how much we like you. So you have like, meetings with the author, you have them... Um, various rounds when you're saying oh this is this 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 is what we will pay for the book and then the other publisher saying well this is what we will pay and the agent is of course trying to uh, um talk everyone up <laughs> into into buying more into paying more um and i can't i can't talk about um i can't i can't announce that author yet because um it, like we want to make a, a big announcement about announcing the author but it was very exciting and we did get the book in the end i found out last night uh but uh, like so sort of today um my my day has been picking up emails and things for the, the because I, I for like sort of two days I ignored everything else I had to do and just did that. So. <laughs> I mean auctions are a weird situation for an author as well because obviously you you want yes, you know, of course you want to get paid as much as you can. But you mentioned the sort of the beauty contest mm. angle of it. And I think that is important and it's it's important to mention for listeners out there who maybe you know aren't yet in the industry that it's not always just about who will give you the biggest advance yeah you know that there are from our perspective as authors there are other things that can attract you to a publisher such as 
you know, their sort of their editorial um, outlook or their the size of their marketing department sometimes. Mm. And, and I will say know. in a situation we were the underbidder, um, which means that we, we offered less at the end of the day, in, in advance at the end of the day, but the author decided to go with us in the end because because they liked us um, and because they liked so what we were So that's a perfect backwards. example, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and also I think the one thing that um, is very hard to explain to people um, when you come across it is that it is actually possible to make it very difficult for an author by paying too much at the start. Um, and that sounds very counterintuitive, but it's because maybe you pay, maybe, maybe you, you go all in and you pay, you pay a lot of money for the first two books. And then because you have paid that, there's sort of the people in the publishing in the, at the publishers saying, well, this is how much we spent on the book. So this is how much they need to make back. Um, and because an advance is, is an advance on an author's earnings. Um, and so like you, you throw a lot of marketing publicity and maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it's never, maybe it wasn't the kind of book that was ever going to sell that many copies as some things are more niche than others. Um, and it makes it very difficult when you get to, uh, when, when the book author has written, maybe say their, their third or fourth book and they're saying, will you buy more books from me? And the pe- people at your publishers are saying, well, that, that book was a failure. That book, that book didn't do very well. Um, and it's, it's, it is interesting because obviously I, I, I want, I want all my authors to be, paid it they are they're all wonderful and i want them all to be paid as much as they deserve but it it that is an interesting action uh, aspect of auctions in particular and that it is possible for them to go too high well and and it's you mentioned earlier that one of your roles as an editor is to sort of nurture your author mm. you know and sort of help guide their careers to an extent and i think that's part of it isn't it because sometimes you would i don't I've never been an editor, so I'm I'm just speculating here from what I've heard yourself and other editors say. Sometimes you can see that an author might take a few books to kind of hit their stride and yeah. to sort of break out, and you don't want to, uh, as you say, kind of put them at a disadvantage immediately mm-hmm. by, yes, giving them a six-figure advance that is, stands no chance of earning out, and then you know that trying to get trying to draw up a P&L or something for that author's third or fourth book, it's impossible. You're going to author them 500 pounds advance or something because. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, And I I think part of being an editor as well is um, you are always that author's number one advocate at the publishers. um, And, but also you're also the advocate for the publisher with the author. So you kind of have, you're constantly like with this sort of one foot in both camp, you're explaining things that the publisher does to the author. You're also, being the person at the publisher who probably cares. I mean, everyone in publishing cares about our authors and wants them to do as well as possible because we're all on the same side at the end of the day. But um, the editor is kind of the, the author's number one advocate. And I, I, I am kind of the number one contact as well if an author um, has something they want to talk about um, or if, God forbid, they have a complaint or something. I'm like, not that that happens very often, <laughs> but it's I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm contact number one, basically. So, um, so what do you do? We can all name, you know, dozens of books that we think are great that didn't sell very well. Mm. You know, that, that happens that. all the time. You can't make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an element of confidentiality as well in being an editor, which, which is very difficult because people will come up to you and they'll say sort of, um, oh, what are you most, we're writing an article, what are you most excited about for next year? And I thought, well, I've got about 20 books coming out next year and I think I don't want to offend 19 of them. This is like 19 of those authors. <laughs> So it's very tricky. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't ask you to name them, but uh, but we could. You know, we can we can all think of them. How do you look upon those as an editor when an author comes to you? It's an author that you like, and you know the sort of the the pitch is good, and you you know it's going to be a quality book, but you're also pretty sure that it's not going to sell very well. Mm. How do you kind of because it is a business, it is an industry, you know, the idea of a publisher is to make money for everyone concerned. So how do you approach uh, acquiring a book like that or deciding whether to acquire a book like that? Mm. So, I mean, if it was an author who I already published um, and they were coming to me with a quality book that I didn't think would necessarily sell very much, um, I'd have frank conversations with the author, frank conversations with the with the, their agent about, well, maybe this isn't the right subject matter for them. I, I like, I don't theorizing on why why i might think that it might not sell very well it just maybe it's something maybe maybe they're working with a trend that's just very oversaturated and i'd explain that to them um that sort of thing um i think if a book is quality and a book and there, there is always a market so it might just be a case of this will sell to a certain level um we can offer on that basis um but if i i mean 
there are so many things I have to say. I have to, re- when it comes to authors I don't publish, there are so many things um, I have to reject that I do like maybe personally enjoy. Um, I just don't feel like I have room on my list for them or maybe feel like another publisher would be the best place for them. Um, it's, it's, it's very tricky. Um, I think one thing that often, there's, there's, I think one thing everyone knows about editors is um, the, the authors such as Stephen King and J.K. Rowling sort of say like, oh, I had so many rejections before I, uh, before I found my publisher. And there's sort of the idea that like everyone's pointing at those other publishers and saying, ha ha, you, you, you missed out on that. But the thing is, I th- like say, say Harry Potter, um, if a different editor had taken on Harry Potter, they, it may not have been Harry Potter. It, it may have been yeah. like the, the, the publisher craft the title, they craft the package, they craft the marketing. It might have, it might have, it might have died without trace. It, um, and I think also as an editor, you have to, you, if you don't believe in the book, no one will, because you you are always that number one advocate. You and I think when I when I'm looking at submissions, I have to, I know that I, I don't just have to be enthusiastic about the book now. I have to know that in six months I will still be as enthusiastic about the book. I will still be as enthusiastic in twelve months. So because also in publishing, um, we are constantly working. So ideally, twelve months ahead. So like I'm thinking about what I'm publishing next July, because um, there's a long process of. Uh, Editing, copy editing, proofreading, typesetting, cover design, sell, like giving 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 your poor sales department enough time to actually say to booksellers, "Hey, this book's going to be great. You should order so many copies in Waterstones." Um, you, you you do need that time, and it's not to say that we can't um, rush out something when we need to. Um, not that, that happens very often in sci-fi fantasy publishing, but it's in kind of nonfiction or celebrity publishing, there will be things that like just go out to to meet a certain date. Like say, I don't know. Love Island is on and that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, so if, if I'm, it, it is a lot of the, the, the editor's enthusiasm and the publisher's, publisher's enthusiasm that makes the books. And there isn't, there's very rarely a case of, um, oh, I wish we'd gone for that because it was such mm-hmm. a great success. So it, it, it was such a great success for that other publisher. It may not have been for you. Um, yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. As you say, it's it's more than just the book itself it's yes. more than just the author's contribution mm. you know obviously the it's the author's name on the front of the book Absolutely. but as we all acknowledge you know often in our thanks at the end of books there there's a whole team of people as you say helping to kind of actually get it onto shelves mm. um and yes make booksellers aware of it and stuff yeah the number of the number of times i use that phrase it's the author's name on the front of the book um because there is sometimes the sense that publishers We'll, we'll throw their weight around or we'll go against what authors want. And then at the end of the day, it is their name on the front of the book. And if I'm the editing process, for example, is not me working my will on the work and telling them what to do. It's sort of my advice and my publishing, my you know, decade plus of publishing knowledge saying, I, I think maybe it would be better if you did this. And but at the end of the day, if there's something they feel strongly about, they're, they're going to tell me no. And then, um, yeah, that's fine with me because it's their, it's their name, not mine on the front. Um, <laughs> No, no, I, I've been in that position. Um, the, the first Brigitte Sharp book, uh, Scott Pack, who edited it, and I had not a dis- not even a disagreement, but there was one section of the book that he thought didn't belong. <laughs> and he was like, I think you should take that out. But I, I was absolutely adamant. I was like, no. And I did think about it, but when, after thinking about it, I was like, no, no, I want to keep it in. Um, uh, and he, yeah. As you say, he was just like, well, fair enough. It's it's your book. Yeah, yeah if you uh, feel strongly about it, there's, there's a reason you feel that strongly about it. And um, you should go yeah. with that. They... Exactly. Yeah. And I did say, I, w- I will say, I did take plenty of other, you know, pointers and advice and stuff that he gave. And I did remove some other bits that mm. he didn't like. <laughs> so it wasn't all just me, you know, waving a flag around. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's that advice that you should kill your darlings, but you shouldn't absolutely shouldn't kill all of them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, otherwise you end up playing it enough for the work, I think. <laughs> Kill 60% of your darlings. <laughs> I mean, that's a good segue into a question that I wanted to ask you, which is what can writers do to make your job easier? What can we do to help editors other than obviously write a brilliant work of staggering genius? But that, you know, <laughs> take, take that as a given. <laughs> On a day-to-day basis, what can we do? The question is which part of my job Um I often say to writers who are um, trying to craft um, a good submission um, that they should absolutely go in first with, they should put their best foot forward. They should go in first with the first chapter with what is great for them. Cause I, I, every Wednesday morning I sit in an editorial meeting with all the other editors on the orbit team. And we talk about what we've been reading that week. And we talk about, and, and it, it, it is, 
it would might be quite demoralizing for us if they sat in that meeting because they would see how much submissions reading we do and how rare it is to actually publish something because we 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 do have a lot of submissions um i think you've had the statistic quoted on your podcast once that um it's one percent of submissions get published um something like that something like that i say one percent two percent that kind of thing um and so it is it is sometimes like sitting in a meeting listening to reasons for rejections and you know when i say it would be demoralizing i don't mean that we're being mean about these books (laughs) but um in a way, being matter of fact is actually more demoralizing. <laughs> I would say from the creator's point of view, if somebody comes out and says, I hated this with every fiber of my being, then, you know, that's actually not so bad because at least you've, you've engendered a really strong reaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But to, I, I know the sort of meetings you mean. I know the sort of conversations you have where you, you're very matter of fact and sort of uh, mundane, if you like, about, as you say, oh no we can't have this or we can't do that or that one's not right for our list or something and they're not strong reactions they're just very they're so matter of fact that actually i say i think that would be more demoralizing in a way i my my um my old boss tim holman um who is publisher of uh orbit us because uh, orbit and um, we have a uk branch and we have a us branch and we work very well together and we don't publish everything that orbit us publish and they don't publish everything that we do but there are lots of books that we work well together and it's nice to have that kind of global reach up but anyway he, he used to threaten them he used because he used to be um publisher at orbit uk as well as us he used to sit in those meetings and threaten that one day he was going to get a twitter account and uh release quotes from those meetings <laughs> and he, he had his <laughs> no. book as well that he wrote um he wrote them in um i think one of the most memorable ones was i i was enjoying it until i fell asleep because <laughs> it, was, it was first thing on the wednesday morning it was and one people would like read them the night before and it's just like yeah if you, if you fell asleep it probably wasn't Right. Um, well, what I was getting to was um, about putting your best foot forward. Um, I, I was lucky enough to uh, be part of the first Nine Worlds convention um, in, I think, 2013. And mm-hmm. I was in charge of the, the books track um, because they had different tracks with like movies, comics, etc. Um, and we had an event um, both nights of the convention that people really enjoyed, which was kind of a, like speed dating for books, um, where authors who had got publishing deals, like kind of debut authors, it was called New Voices, um, got to stand up for five minutes and read five minutes of their work um and often I, I think you'll know from convention reading sometimes they're kind of like there's one author reading and it's 30 minutes um and not I, I would say that's like not like the most popular thing at a convention track so um doing the kind of bang 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 five minutes from each author turned out really popular um but I had a lot of authors saying oh, what what do you think I should read for that and I said you should read your first page um and I said oh, but what if that's not the best thing like or what if that's not the best thing to uh encourage my audience to to buy my book because to read it was it was, yeah. it was speed dating for books it was kind of like and so well if it's not the best thing why is it not the best thing why aren't you starting there why is that not on the first page you can always it can be a flashback it can be you can, you can start stories in many places and um, there isn't just one place you can start a story so yeah and I, I think that was those conversations were kind of a revelation for me as an editor and I hope they were also a revelation for some authors as well so <laughs> <laughs> I have I have authors who are very helpful and very lovely um and I think that maybe and they're very patient and i think that what one of the um best things an author can do is is be patient with us because i think everyone in publishing is slightly overworked um we all wish that we could get back to every email every time it comes in and uh, i think i and it is it is it's sad in a way because authors they they finish their manuscript they meet their deadline or they don't meet their deadline or they're something slightly late um and they send you the book and they almost kind of i want to give them immediate feedback and they might want and they they eager to know like there's lots of authors who kind of um don't have a lot of self-confidence and maybe think like oh no it's it's a terrible manuscript I've, I've done very badly um please reassure me that it's going to be wonderful and um I think but sometimes it's I, I need I need to add something else before I get to their work or um I th- sometimes say manuscripts are like buses no matter how you line up your deadlines three will come along at once and it, <laughs> it is so true um yeah, especially especially before uh, holidays and Christmas. So, like, authors will be like, I need to get this done before the Christmas holidays, and then like, loads come in. Yeah. From talking to other editors, I think maybe if there is something that is concerning you as an author, just just come come to us, uh, come to us on time, come to us first. Um, don't, and this is absolutely none of my authors, but don't kind of like immediately kind of complain on your blog or something that, oh, <laughs> that, yeah. that your publisher is doing this. I, th- I think um, 
some authors and, and readers are certainly very willing to buy into the idea that it's kind of like publishers versus authors and it's not we, we, we buy your work because we love it we want to we want to share it with the world and um, we, we all at the end of the day want to sell more books so yeah <laughs> we're on the same side <laughs> yeah i mean i think patience is the one thing that all authors could do with more of but it is also you know because of as you say those issues of self-confidence mm-hmm. or a lack of self-confidence in, in most of us uh it's really difficult to be patient yeah it's <laughs> But it always pays, as you say, to stop and think, hang on a minute, if they're dealing with 20 or 30 authors and they're all sending in manuscripts, <laughs> you know, and each manuscript takes a while to read. I have a terrible habit in that I, um, I will, in, in, we're talking about processes and typical days, I will try and get the kind of the small things off my plate before I like, so replying to emails or sort of do tweaking a cover brief or things like that. I will try and get all the small things off my plate in the first thing so that I can concentrate on the big things like editing. And uh, it doesn't always work out that way. You, you, you get a de- you get days full of the small things or the small things are not as small as you think they are. And you realize that another day has gone by without editing or working on that big project or the things that you kind of wanted to clear. Uh, I, I cleared desk space to, uh, to, to work on. <laughs> it never plays. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's funny because, I mean, that is a constant issue for authors mm. as well. Uh, and it is one of the things that I've talked about a lot on here. It's why I advocate, uh, you know, writing before doing the admin tasks mm-hmm. and stuff uh, so that you you can't get overwhelmed mm. so, so much so that the admin takes over your day and doesn't leave any time for you to write if you've already done the writing first. But of course, one of the disadvantages of being having that day job and being in the office is that you're not, always in control of uh of that schedule you can't always make that decision to like no i'm going to sit down and read a half a manuscript this morning or something before answering my emails as you say sometimes you have fires to put out or auctions to bid on mm, meetings <laughs> lots of meetings lots yes of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> um talk a bit more if you can about the uh again what we touched on earlier the sort of the helping an author develop their career let's say you, you know you've got an author who's had two or three relatively successful books, you know, they've sold well in sort of maybe they've earned out or almost earned out or something um, enough that you want to keep working with them. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, do you try to guide them to considering a type of book perhaps, or, you know, addressing a certain, maybe doing a series or if they've done series before, not try not doing a series, you know, try something new or do you, you know, trust to the uh, to the author's instincts. Mm, so that's it. Absolutely depends on the individual. Um, to f- start with, I'll say that we're a science fiction and fantasy imprint. So um, if we've come, you know, and authors do like to write in lots of different genres. So um, if we have an author who is thinking, oh, I want to write a crime book next, um, might say, well, you know, that that won't be done through Orbit, but obviously, the um, Sorry, I should just say possibly should say a little bit about Orbit and where we sit in the publishing structure of things because sure. um, Orbit is an imprint and an imprint is a team of people as publishers who all work on the same kind of books. So we all work on science fiction and fantasy books, um, and we are specialists in what we do. And we have kind of special marketing and publicity people, and we have kind of like our um, subscribers and social media and news like that. We're very good at selling to science fiction and fantasy fans. Um, but we are part of Little Brown, which is a publisher who have a crime imprint. We have, you mentioned Sphere, we have we have YA, we have romance, we have all, we have nonfiction, we have all kinds of things. So there there is room for us to say, oh, well, maybe the other editor would like that if you if you want to work on it. And we do like to keep authors in house um, because you know we 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 like working with them and we've helped develop their career so far. So and we have those resources to do that. Um, but I, I think at the end of, when it comes back to uh helping author decide what to do next um and this is also something that their agent will help them do um i think at the end of the day you have to be guided by what the author wants to write um i think writers i think often asking sort of should we follow trends and things like that and at at the end of the day if you if the author isn't enjoying the work then the reader isn't going to enjoy the work i don't think i think that that passion does come across so the first question is always what do you want to write next um and then if it's can't think of times when this has happened but if it was something that was absolutely just not going to appeal to an orbit audience we would find work with them to find out ways that it could do that um so what is it that in, excites you about that work um is there another way you can say that or is there another way you can use that character that sort of thing um yeah does that answer that question <laughs> yeah sort of yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I was I was thinking about specifically, and I know several authors who, for example, have written you know a series to start off mm-hmm. a trilogy or something to start off their career, uh, and it's done okay, but not gangbusters. And so they've thought, well, should I do another series or should I start doing some one-offs? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily even changing genre, just changing whether they put out another trilogy or whether they start doing some one-offs and vice versa. I know other authors who've done two or three one-offs done okay and then thought Mm. maybe i should do a trilogy um but of course if it's not what their audience expects from them then authors can often be a little reticent about like oh but will my audience go for this will they accept this from me because it's not what i've done before absolutely and then there's the uh if if it is something if they do want to write something different there is also a case would you like to write that under a pseudonym would you like to write it under a closed pseudonym or um more of an open pseudonym in that like you know you maybe writing under an initial and your the surname you were using before is to can help separate those uh, those two strands of the work um there's other reasons for doing that as well which is um most booksellers use a program called bookscan which um they'll, they'll has all the author's sales on so that if, they, if something's under a certain name and they see that the sales for a certain amount then they will probably order in that amount for the next book um so using a pseudonym can be a way to get out of that especially if you're sort of slightly changing genre or changing track um the whole i've written this so science fiction and fantasy publishing um i think our readers are quite i don't want to say conservative because i'm certainly not tories but like we don't it's difficult to persuade sci-fi and fantasy readers to try something new um which isn't a criticism it's more like we like series we like to go back to a world that we're familiar with um and this is why it can be difficult to launch debut authors sometimes but i think orbit at orbit we're very very good at launching debut authors and we have like really worked on that um, and, and done the an- analysis on how so much baby authors but that's me getting off track um so I, I would say the series series is slightly more advanced, advantageous than um doing standalones um but then I, I think uh, if the series was you know selling to a certain level and we wanted to change it up a bit there, there could be the option of um writing standalones in that universe um it's, it's a way to kind of give that kind of familiarity to readers um who you know you keep the readers who like the work but you may give other readers who feel that like maybe they've missed the chance to start that series i don't know they, they for whatever reason they didn't pick up that series another way in okay, another way in yeah um so that there are lots of uh tr- tricks and advice that we can we can offer um but you as an editor would be open to those conversations you, you know yeah. you wouldn't um, yeah in in the interests of trying to keep the author in house as you say helping the author develop themselves because a lot of i think a lot of people don't realize how much backlist sales can be affected by a new success and obviously if those are your backlist sales you know as a publisher Absolutely, then everybody's yeah. happy and, <laughs> and again going back to how popular series are with the sci-fi fantasy publishers our um our back we all has been running for nearly 50 years um our backlist keeps the lights on basically <laughs> um I, 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 this is true for all publishers in that um there are always certain books that kind of keep everything going whether it's kind of your brand authors or whether it's your backlist um and it, there were there were because you know the certain books will sell you're you're able to take risks on new things um and orbit has a really really strong backlist it's nice we have like very good foundations um to do that with and um i think that maybe um sci-fi fantasy readers are a bit more keen to read backlist i don't know which is is again why it can be harder to launch debut authors um but yeah and and you do you do see that rise in sales of an author's backlist when they have something new that um takes off such as um not one of my authors but um emily's emily st john mandel um with her station mm-hmm. 11 which that which really took off and um obviously the publisher relaunched the backlist yeah, yeah you're, you're, that's <laughs> if people ever wonder why you suddenly get a flurry of new editions of old books from an author it's often because, because yeah they've yeah. had a sudden <laughs> success with their most recent book <laughs> and now all the trade dress looks just the same as the new book it's funny that. <laughs> <laughs> all covers there there is a there's a there's a definitely tendency to uh say publishers put the same cover on everything um but there, there are reasons that we do that <laughs> we, we, we yeah. have the analysis <laughs> sort of how much input do you have actually to cover? Because a, a lot of author, a lot, a lot yeah. of authors will say, "Oh, I, I don't have any input onto my covers. That's all just down to the publisher." <laughs> cover briefs, cover, um, cover briefs take uh, I'll probably take up more of my day than you expect. I think if you you didn't know much about publishing, um, 
because you, you you constantly have kind of new drafts of if you if you're working on say kind of 20 30 books for next year you'll see you'll see new drafts of things from designers and you'll work with the designers and the authors to uh, to craft those into um something that you into the package of the book that you want to publish um as editors you are you are crafting the package and helping the author crafting crafting the package of the book which is kind of the things that are said about it online as in kind of the cover copy as in these the quotes about the love of the things people have said about it this is what the story is this is what the cover looks like this is what the title is and um, manuscripts can change so much um of like sometimes a manuscript will come in and it will have a perfect title and you say that's it that's it i can i can see that i can see that pitch um but often you'll um you'll change the title and you'll obviously you, you, you work very hard to come up with a cover that you think will appeal to the uh to the audience that will buy it um when i'm when i'm acquiring a book so say i've say i've had a submission in um i i think i want i think i want to buy it so i i take it to the editorial meeting and i say um i think this would appeal to fans of x x and x um it's 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 always trying about trying to find something that's original in unoriginal ways <laughs> Or original in, or unoriginal in new ways. I don't it's sort of because when I buy a book I have to cost it and I have to say this is how many books I think it will sell. Um and to do that I have to especially with a debut author, I have to look at similar works. Um so I'm always saying this is this is like X but better, or this is like X but you know, for a different like, demographic. Um it's and you you will always take those comps, um say say one author is like another or one author will appeal to you as an author's fandom um you're taking those comps and you're thinking about them when you're writing that cover copy you're thinking about them when you're designing the cover brief um and it's, it's just about finding ways to signal to fans of a certain type of fiction that this is this is for them um and it can be, be subliminal in the, or it can be conscious in, in their covers will look like other covers um but you but you don't want them to look too similar to other covers so yeah it's, uh, <laughs> Well, it's blurb blurbs are the same aren't they yes. uh and uh you know in synopses back cover flap synopses and stuff like that um it's all about as you say on the one hand enticing people by saying hey did you like this well this is a bit like that quite the, but at the same time it's something new and different yes. which you'll enjoy the classic elevator pitch um this is this is game of thrones meets james bond <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's a very, it's a tricky balancing act to, to pull off. Yeah. You know, if people ever wonder why you see the same names on cover blurbs over and over and over again, as you, again, it's for a reason, it's marketing, isn't it? You said you're, obviously you got into this, working in this genre because you're a fan of the genre. Mm-hmm. How much do you get to read that isn't work, you know, that aren't your books that you're actually working on? It is something I have to try to consciously do. Um and there's reading for pleasure and there's reading to read around my market. And I obviously love science fiction and fantasy books, but there are certain genres that I just will go to for relaxation. Um, which is funny because I, I, I think I'm constantly my own worst enemy in that I will get into something. And then, so I've read, for example, um, I was listening to lots of podcasts in sort of 2013, 2014 and, um, welcome to Nightvale came along. Um, this is, this is great. This is, um, this, there's something about audiobooks and podcasts as well that allows me to kind of separate myself from like seeing things, words on the page and wanting to edit them. Um, but then I thought, well, there should be book, really. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, so I wrote to the authors and uh, said, is, is, is there a book coming? And, and the answer was no at the time. But then when they did get an agent uh, a few months later, because the, the hype and buzz for that podcast just kept on going and going, um, I was I was in for a chance with the auction and I did win the auction in the UK. Um, I think one of the one of the funny things about that auction was I was able to include a picture of myself cosplaying the character at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, look, I really do like this, but this this these I, I am a true fan. <laughs> kind of thing. There's always a balance between being a fan and being an editor. I think it's a very difficult line to walk. Um, you don't want to come across too starry eyed, but you you, you want to come across as professional. But you want to come across as authentic. Um, I mean, that, that t- we were talking about the intangibles of choosing which publisher to go with, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, a picture of you in cosplay, that's like, oh, oh wow, okay. <laughs> Unusual. Um, but yes, I, I think I'm constantly at war with myself and um, I'm trying to find things that I, I I love and will help me relax because cause genre is my fandom um, and comics and the YA and uh, a, a horror that are just... Being a nerd, being a nerd is my thing. Um, but I also managed to turn it into a career, which is a constant struggle. 
<laughs> well, but also, you know, you, you are doing what you love. It's, I am uh, doing what I love, yeah. Um, it's just not, it's, it's a privilege. Um, and it's, it's also, when you, try, when you try to relax, it's also, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they say, uh, um, you know, don't monetize your hobbies um, in this capitalist world that we all live in. And I think there's, that's, that's, people are constantly encouraged to do that, aren't they? Kind of like you, you start knitting and people are like, oh, that's really good. You should sell it. And then it becomes a chore. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that publishing is a chore. It's a career. And um, I do, I do, I, I find time to read for pleasure, but I sort of have to struggle with myself to do that and finding way, like, 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 I mean, I have my, I have such a huge audible subscription. <laughs> I just listen to so many audiobooks. Um, but then I did uh, realize that I could listen, but during the pandemic, I realized I could listen to submissions on my laptop by using text-to-speech software. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which suddenly I was racing through submissions. But, you know, <laughs> where, where, when I was doing, I was washing up and listening to his submissions rather than washing up and listening to uh, books on Audible. So. <laughs> Is the text-to-speech good enough for that? Um, I like to think that, that's what my manager asked when I told her about it. <laughs> I like to think that if, because, um, well, read things uh, on on the page anyway um if i'm if i'm thinking seriously about publishing them but um i like to think that if the text-to-speech isn't good enough that you, you, books have to be very very good for me to want to publish them I, I have a lot of things that come across my desk and i know they're they're good but they're not you know they've not got that saying they've not that enthusiasm that i was talking about later that i will have to sustain for 12 months to the length of an author's career um I think that if if the book is that good, it will come across in the text to speech software. Also, text to speech software is is very good these days. It's a lot better than it used to be. Um, and I think I'm I'm used to listening to things in audio anyway. So I think that like for someone because I, I know a lot of people say they struggle with audio books, but uh, not me. I think I'm very good at listening to things and like audio learner that sort of thing. Um, it's funny. I listen to loads of podcasts, but I, I hardly ever listen to audio books. <laughs> Uh, there's just something for some reason two people talking having a chat or whatever no problem but somebody reading a book for some reason it just doesn't go in there for me i don't know it's very odd so um at the start of the pandemic as well um my my husband um he wasn't working from home because he uh, he was working the nightingale which was very scary at the time so i think like having other like, at home all day not seeing other people except on screen it was very nice to have like voices in the house right. so yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely change of working <laughs> going from being in office to that so you got into publishing fairly quickly after deciding oh this is something that i want to do you're still there mm-hmm. you've recently been promoted what made you stay like having now been in it for a while you know you could have you could have gone into it and gone oh no i've made a terrible mistake you know and gone off and done something else so why do you stay what is it that keeps you in the job it is it's the authors um it, they they are wonderful it's the chance to uh, work with these amazing talents and kind of, I don't know, it sounds very um, pompous for me to say help make the stories better, but um, to kind of just to help craft stories with other people. I love collaborative storytelling as well. And I, so I, I, I love things like, uh, I love things like LARP. I love things like tabletop games. Um, and I, I love that. Kind of, and I like theatre as a, when I was a student, um, I love that kind of, sense of lots of people working together on the story or two people working together on the story and although when you factor in the kind of us editors and things you, you do sometimes get more than just that author editor relationship um it is it's fun um i think stories have always been very important to me and i think stories are very important to us as a species like we we've told stories around campfires for centuries and centuries um stories are important <laughs> final question then uh and I, i'm gonna phrase this in a way so that you don't have to embarrass uh, any of your the, the 19 other authors as you mentioned earlier <laughs> like so what's the last book you uh read that you didn't publish that wasn't one of yours that, that you know you that where the writing really impressed you i think um i'm gonna i'm gonna confess to reading warhammer 40k time fiction now because that is very much the last thing that was on my audible list um i'm enjoying dan abnett's uh, pariah and penitent um I don't know if you've read the Eisenhorn series. Um, I haven't, but I'm I'm familiar with Mr. Abnett's voluminous contribution to Warhammer Ab- fiction. Dan, Dan, Dan Abnett's great. Um, also, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I, 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 it's 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 because it's uh, I think because it's tie-in fiction as well. I can just I can just sort of think this isn't this isn't an orbit competitor. This is this is this is something I can just enjoy for what it is. Um, and I, I love I love the richness of that that universe. Um, 
and sort of the, the Warhammer 40k universe. So, um, and those books are really excellent. They're uh, stories of two inquisitors. I see this is this uh, Warhammer fans will know exactly what I'm talking about. Now I'm trying to think <laughs> of a way to uh, to describe those books to someone who isn't into that. Um, it's kind of people trying to do the best they can in a fascist sci-fi dystopia um, with aliens and inquisitors. <laughs> um, sort of many, spy novels. Cloned men in giant power armour and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> they're, they're pretty wonderful. Um, I, I, love the, uh, I love the scope of that universe, actually. Um, in, so we publish a lot of space opera, and um, I think that, in fact, our two most popular genres at Orbit are epic fantasy and space opera, and I think that what people are looking for in those kinds of fantasies and science fiction is scope for a world um and something about the warhammer 40 world just feels so big and epic and i love that um you can really just dive in um and escape uh, the other thing i was really enjoying recently is uh kieran gillen's die um in comic book form obviously comics are a good way for me to relax because they aren't like editing <laughs> so i'm not looking at and again um, not competitors in any way yeah exactly um it's it, and I, I i again like it's sort of the uh the tabletop fandom coming across and i i love what kieran's doing with that series so there's, he's, he's a master of kind of the, the gut punch plot twist as well. Um, not to spoil anything, <laughs> but uh, he really makes you feel things. <laughs> hey, all the feels, yes. All the feels. He's very good at that. <laughs> all right, Jenny, where can people find you online? People can find me at Twitter. Um, I'm at Jenny underscore Hill um, for my sins. <laughs> Keep saying I'll leave Twitter, but I haven't yet. <laughs> Everyone's doing it. And um, people can find Orbit at Orbit Books. Uh, um, we have a blog, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, Instagram, thinking about TikTok. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the TikTok, the book, book talk is huge. Anyway, um, yeah, so, so follow Orbit online and find out about all our wonderful authors. Um, all the wonderful authors who I haven't mentioned today because I'm too afraid of mentioning Wong and then like, letting all the others feel left out. <laughs> but, but, but join up and find out. <laughs> Totally, totally understandable. Speaking as an author, I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Anthony. This is really fun. And thank you all out there for listening to Writing and Breathing. If you want to get in touch, go to writingandbreathing.com for links to email and Twitter. And that is also where you'll find all of the previous episodes. Writing and Breathing is a 7RQ production and is made in England. Remember to write, remember to breathe, and I'll see you next time. And then, and how long did you work there before you then went to, uh, sorry, remind me where you are again. Um, uh, orbit. <laughs> orbit. I keep, I keep wanting to say sphere and I know it's not, I get sphere and orbit mixed up all the time. We work in on the same floor as sphere. Um, they, they are very good friends. <laughs> <laughs>